how um, it's broken up because we're going to go into a, more of a narrative now instead of a broad description. We're going to see um, a narrative of the Holy Spirit um, being at work through the works of the apostles. And I am going to read the whole chapter of chapter 3 because it really is not good to just look at them in sections without looking at the whole first. And then in the next couple of days, I'm going to come back and go through it more incrementally. So you may go, wow, he's going to take on and he's going to preach the whole chapter today. We're going to definitely be here for a very long time. No, that's not the case. It's just important that you see the fullness of this particular chapter and its bookends so that you can understand the purposes of the sections in of themselves. So if you would stand now, I'll read before you uh, Acts chapter 3. Hear now the word of God. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do I give, I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health and the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets 
long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that you have bestowed upon your church. We thank you that we have this word before us this day, that we get the great joy of seeing into things that angels have longed to see, that we get to see the revelation of your Son, the working of your Spirit, and the foundations of your church. We pray that this day that these words would penetrate our hearts, that they would capture our attentions, that we would gaze upon the Lord as we hear your word this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It is so important that as we continue to go through the book of Acts, that we continue to remember what the book of Acts is. Children, what is the book of Acts? Or even adults, what is the book of Acts? What does it mean, Acts? I'm not saying Acts, like chopping down a tree. I'm saying Acts, yes. Acts of the disciples. What particular disciples are we talking about? Say again. Paul, and what was Paul? What kind of disciple was he? Was he a disciple just like you, Sophia? What kind of disciple was he? A disciple that preaches the Lord. Well, I preached the Lord. Was Paul just like me? No. No? What's that? The apostles. Should be pretty easy for us to remember. A, Acts, A, apostles. The Acts of the apostles. And so as we look at these particular narratives and these events, these acts, it is the acts of the apostles. Now, we had just said together a moment ago in the Nicene Creed that we believe in the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I don't want to embarrass you or whatever, but I would assume that some people in here, as I did Many times, and reciting that in the past, I wasn't really sure what that meant. Now, I've made a little bit of a cheat sheet for us at the bottom of the Nicene Creed about the word Catholic, mainly to distinguish what kind of Catholic we are. I remember that my dad, the first time that he visited um, my family in a Presbyterian church, and we did a creed, and it had the word Catholic in it, he was quite disturbed. My dad, being a Southern Baptist, said, you know, we are not Catholics. And I said, well, yeah, yeah, you are. And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, do you believe that all of God's people who 
believe, who repent and believe, and who are baptized into the church, that all that makes up his church. And he said, yes. I said, well, then you believe in the Catholic church. <laughs> he said, no, I don't. <laughs> and so well, the word Catholic means universal. At the end of that, my dad still didn't agree with me. I'm sure he agrees with me now, I would assume. <laughs> and he hopefully is thinking of many things that I am wrong about, too, even to this day. But the word apostolic. Now, some of you, probably, if you drive through even this neighborhood of Kingtown, I can't think of exactly which particular buildings, but it is likely as you make your way maybe over to the Landell's house, you'll probably pass a church that will say something about the apostles, the apostolic church. They'll even name that in some of their churches, that we are an apostolic gospel church. Um, What does it mean? To be a part of the apostolic church. Any guesses? Are we all apostles? What makes an apostle? How about that? They were present at the time of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Now, if you remember, in the very first chapter of Acts, they had 11 apostles, and they need to call another. They were wanting to be obedient in fulfilling the call that there should be another one called after the demise of Judas. And so they called another one who would be a witness to them. Now, you see throughout the Gospels and also in the Acts of the Apostles, you see people being referred to as disciples, that the disciples followed or the disciples heard. But then you also have distinctions of that there were the apostles, there were the 12 apostles. And then we see the apostles grow in number with Paul. And he even called himself the last apostle. Do we have any apostles living here today on this earth? We do not. Now, it's difficult for us sometimes to make these distinctions because we have the fullness of God's word. We have to remember that at the time that these particular accounts of the Acts of the Apostles, that they did not have the New Testament in a written form. That there was a certain age of time where these things were being brought forth and concluded or canonized even is the word, forming together what would now be considered the New Testament. And so a lot of times when we look at these accounts, we forget that there's a certain kind of age going on. Now you've heard from, even in the beginning of this particular church, of talking about during the, the uh, sermon through, the sermons through Matthew, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies of being the Messiah. And that's how he began his ministry. He would say, he would read Isaiah and he would say, this is me, I am the fulfillment of it. And here in the Acts, the, the book of Acts, you've heard me talk about how the things that are going on with the Spirit are also the fulfillments of prophecy about the Spirit, even from the Old Testament, but even particularly the promises that Jesus made about sending the Holy Spirit. And now in Acts 1 and 2, we see those things being manifested, that even though the Holy Spirit has been at work in the very beginning and has always been there, God has promised this special explosion, if you would, of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon 
his people, but also in the book of the Acts of the Apostles is the fulfillment of what Jesus said would be in the beginning of the church of what the disciples, the apostles, would do to prove and to be signs to the world that these things were being accomplished in his church's beginning. That his kingdom has come. And so when we read this particular chapter in chapter 3, it's not just a regular day for the church. It's not just a normal circumstance for the church. We have to look at it in the full context of what all of Scripture has been saying. We have to look at it again with what Jesus said would occur to these particular people. That these particular people would be doing something as they were furthering the gospel and building the church, laying down the foundations of the church, which is Christ Jesus himself, that when that would occur, that there would be signs pointing and proving that this was from the power of God. Children, did any of your children, any of your parents run any stop signs getting here today? <laughs> also, when somebody would raise their hand. <laughs> my, my kids love to point out when I am not following the laws of the road, especially those who have been recently studying the laws of the road or those who recently got their license. There's a pretty little straight of road there next to the uh, close to the potato chip plant that Abigail, she didn't do it today. I was kind of surprised. I was in the same car with her, but I hear her voice about a, 50 yards into it, Dad, it's 25 through here. <laughs> and she didn't say it today. I was doing about a good 30, 32. And... Oh, oh. <laughs> and then eventually you get to a stop sign. Now, what does a stop sign tell you? To stop. What, what, is it, what is it telling you? Is it just telling you randomly to stop? What's, what's the purpose of a stop sign? Stop and see if cars are coming. That's right. You stop and see that the cars are coming because what's usually ahead of you? An intersection, right? Now, is the stop sign the intersection itself? No, it's not the intersection itself. Now, a lot of times when we're driving... We get warnings. Adam and I had, you know, in, uh, yeah, most of the time people riding with me in, in Penske's, one of the things that we're concerned about is the bridge clearance ahead. And we had a couple of occasions recently where, you know, we were looking on the markings of the truck and it says 13.6 and the bridge says 12.11 or 10.9 or something like that ahead. And if we keep going, what's going to happen? The truck's going to get decapitated, <laughs> or there's going to be a really nasty bill for me later to have to pay. Is the sign itself the bridge? No, but it's pointing to the bridge. Now, so it's a really simple thing for us. We know that whenever we see signs, when we see a sign about speed bumps, we know the sign is not the speed bump, but it's pointing to something else that is ahead. It's pointing to the speed bump. Joe is understanding that it's the reason why we got to look is because we got to stop. 
Because there's something going to be there. The sign itself is just an indication of something else. It's pointing to something else. In God's good wisdom, and for whatever purposes, and for the strengthening of our faith, and for the assurance of us understanding, he has provided throughout the ages lots of signs. All kinds of signs. Pointing ultimately to him. To the fulfillments of the things that he desires from the very beginning and before creation. And he knows that we need signs and we often need reminders. We often need lots of stop signs and flashing lights and all kinds of things to tell us. And here in the beginning of the church in the Acts of the Apostles, Jesus and even the prophets of old had said, you will see signs and wonders to let you know when I am building my kingdom and doing my work. That is the context in which we need to go into as we go into this particular passage because for a lot of people, it can be confusing that they see that the signs themselves is the primary focus of the work of the church. And it's not. Just like we know that the bridge sign is not the bridge, it's pointing to the bridge. In the Acts of the Apostles and how God has set up the church, if you look at what Jesus says, and, as, and, I, and I'm going to go back and through this a little bit more in detail in, in the next couple of sermons, but as we look at this particular chapter, what would you say that ultimately is the sign in this particular chapter? If you were paying attention. What's that? The lame was walking. Right? When we read the, the, John, the passage about John the Baptist, John the Baptist, when he was in prison, he said, are you the one, Jesus? And Jesus said, go and tell John the Baptist what you've seen. You've seen people healed. The blind can see. The reason why Jesus told John that is because John knew that there would be a sign that Jesus had come. And in this situation, from the words of Jesus himself, he had told the apostles that as you're building my church, you are going to be healing people. The lame will walk. That is the sign. What is the sign pointing to in this particular chapter? Pointing to Jesus? How do we know he's pointing to Jesus? Well, Peter said that it wasn't him who healed him, but it was through Jesus' name that the man was healed. That's right. So he, Peter is making it very clear, you know, and it almost sounds kind of, I'm sure Peter wasn't being harsh or he, he, was, he was using rhetoric. He's like, why are you looking at me? It wasn't me that did this. It wasn't by my power. It wasn't by my piety and my faithfulness that this man could walk. It's about the one that we know about from Abraham, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob. It is the one that you crucified, that you chose a thief, a criminal, over the author of life. It is about Jesus Christ. 
So he's not focusing on, okay, now we're going to have a study and lesson on how all of you all can go out and heal people. He showed forth the sign by making the lame walk, giving this man uh, much more than what he ever even asked for. And as he had that sign clinging on to him, he said, this is about Jesus. This is pointing to Jesus. It's not pointing to me. It's not even pointing to him. It's pointing to Jesus. What specific thing about Jesus is Peter wanting to make clear to his audience in this particular narrative? This is my last question. You're like, man, he's asking a lot of questions today. Does he even know what this passage is about? <laughs> he's the author of life. What else? What's, what does he want the end result to end up being? Repentance. He is proclaiming the gospel to them by saying Jesus is the Messiah. He is the author of life. He is the one that's been promised. And he has come so that you will repent. And then what's the very last thing he says in this particular chapter? What's that? Believe is part of it. But he wants to bless them. He says he wants to bless the people of God by doing what? By turning them from their wickedness. And so what this sign is indicating, that as he told this man to be raised up, that we too are being called to be raised up from something far greater and debilitating than just weak ankles and weak feet and legs, but it is the death of sin. In this particular chapter, in its fullness, it's important that we understand that we don't just focus on the sign, but we focus on what the sign is pointing to and what the end result. We're not only just being told that there's an intersection ahead or a bridge ahead, but that we would respond to the sign. That we would stop and that we would look or that we would reconsider or whatever it may be that the sign's point is, is that there would be action and that action is the repentance of our sin and the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the primary goal. And that is the primary goal of this whole book. In fact, it is the primary goal for us to understand in the transitioning from Jesus's death and resurrection to ascension that what the acts of the apostles are all about is laying forth a foundation it is not a prescriptive action that we are to continue to carry these particular signs around but it is to point those people in this particular context it was to point to the Jews, because he tells that he's talking to an audience. He says, you get this first. That's a blessing. You've been getting it for generations, and you didn't get it when you were getting it. And now here it is for you one more time. You're getting this opportunity to understand what it was all about. And it is beginning to explode now and go out throughout the whole world. But it's coming to you. 
It is a unique time for an eternal message, but it is not a prescription for us to carry on that particular office of work. God told us that he appointed uh, to us prophets and apostles, but then he eventually ends with pastors and overseers and teachers. Throughout the history of the church, we have determined in time that this is a particular special moment. Now, this is a little bit of a difficult place because the church is not perfectly unified in understanding that these particular signs in this particular way has ceased. Have any of you heard of the word sensationist? Should be an easy word. Say say it wrong. Say say it the right way, John. Cessationist, sorry. I want to say it the way I'm thinking about it. It's not... Because uh, I'm wanting to think of it ceasing. Things are ceasing. And there's different degrees of that. And there are different conferences that churches talk about how some of these particular signs of healings and casting out demons and those things that those have ceased and have stopped. But then at the same time, we're, we're stuck with observations that God still heals people. He still moves people. He still speaks to people. But there is a distinction here that in this particular case, that as the foundations of the church is being laid out, that this is for the things that have authority in the unification of the church. Now, it's a long study and a long discussion, and I want to stick as close as I can to the sense of this particular passage, but I mainly want it to be an introduction, kind of a reintroduction, because we had some of this in thinking about the Spirit, but now I want us to be thinking about in the fulfillment of the apostles, because it's important for us to make that distinction. I've had people here in this room after worship, people that I have visited with us, that came up and said, hey, I would like for you to train me and teach me how to do exorcisms. (laughs) That they want to be able to do that particular sign. Now, I am not saying that the the, the spiritual realm has ceased to be active in the sense of demons, but there was a unique time here, and people get very infatuated with that. They get very infatuated with the signs because they're very interesting. As you can see here, the church, the people, the the um, the Jews were awed. They were amazed. They were astounded when they see these signs. And so people get very caught up with that idea. Adam and I had the opportunity to go back to a convenience store a couple of weeks ago to take out some old fixtures and put in some new ones. And I had actually installed those original old fixtures. And when I was there, I was, I may have told some of you the story before I was walking back and forth to my trailer, getting um, different components for the sign. And I'd seen this woman on the sidewalk and she mumbled a lot. And I see people like that a lot at convenience stores. It's, you see all kinds of stuff at convenience store. I mean, y'all go to the convenience store. Y'all see all kinds of interesting things at the convenience store. It's very, very interesting. Um, and Lydia sees a lot of interesting people like that at Kroger. <laughs> and, and then Chuck comes in there and just completely blows her world away. So, Anyway, she was mumbling and talking to herself, and I've gone back and forth a few times. And one time when I walked past her, I heard her say, Are you a snake preacher? 
Right. <laughs> and at that time, I wasn't a pastor here. I was, but I was doing jail ministry, and I was doing preaching in a variety of different places, preaching in front of the door at the abortion mill. And so, at first, I was thinking, "Is she talking to me?" <laughs> you know, like, and then, and then I turned around and I kind of looked over at her, and she kind of slowly brought up her gaze at me. Because you're a snake preacher, aren't you? And that, you know, it's kind of creepy <laughs> to get someone asking you that. And I said, well, you know, I'm a preacher, but I'm not a snake preacher, per se, and how I would assume. She goes, you kind of look like a snake preacher. I'm like, I, don't I don't know what that means. But it was an interesting time because I kind of knew where she was, what she was talking about. And in a lot of the places that I go to up in West Virginia and in Kentucky, they still have snake preachers. Because they go back and they find in the passage when Jesus was talking about the apostles and the work of the apostles, that they would be able to go and they will heal people, that they will cast demons out of people, and that they can be bitten by a snake and they will not die. They could drink poison and they would not die. And we will see, by the time we finish Acts, we'll see an account where Paul himself, not by going into some backwoods, you know, um, church and holding a snake, he was bit by a viper and he lived. Jesus prophesied the things that the Acts of the Apostles would be like. It was interesting for me because as I was looking at that particular woman, I was assuming that there's a good possibility that there were some interesting spiritual things going on with this woman. The fact that she even recognized that I may have been a preacher kind of makes me wonder. But none of those things are authoritative. They're just interesting things, and we see those things. But we are given specific things, and as we look at the fullness of the New Testament, we know what particular things that we're supposed to be focusing on and about. And as I mentioned in our prayer time this morning, we are called to intercede for one another and pray for healing. And when we see that in the James 5 passage, we also see adjoining that, just like we see adjoining here, the call to confess our sins to one another. The primary focus is always the repentance of sin. And so our calling is to proclaim the gospel. We are not apostles. We have not been given those particular signs to carry, but we do have a particular work. To do. So when we look at this and we see what's going on here, we need to look at it in the context of what's going on. God is fulfilling his promises. He is fulfilling his promises through the Holy Spirit and through the Acts of the Apostles, pointing and being an indicator and a sign for us that these people are legit in the proclamation that they're going to proclaim, in the work that they're going to proclaim. It is not the primary goal for God to be operating a sign-making company. I'm sorry, Chuck. It's not the sign that's the primary focus. It's what the signs point to is the primary focus. We are not all called to be sign-makers in that particular way. And so when we see this, we see it as a sign. And where I focus should gaze to is as the sign was being there and attached to Peter as he's talking, our focus is to be what he is preaching. He is preaching Jesus Christ. 
He is going back like he does time and time again. And just like Paul, going back to the Old Testament, going through and teaching us all again, this is the God of Abraham. This is what the God of Isaac was going to do. This is what the God of Jacob said he was going to do. This is what Moses said was going to happen. This is what all of the law and prophets have been pointing to for all these generations. It is Jesus Christ. He has come. And you have crucified him, but he raised from the dead. And now he can forgive you of your sin and wickedness. And that is still put into our hands this day to carry out from generation to generation. And this promise is still for us. We see in Ephesians chapter 2, it says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and, make, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, near, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, one of the things that is difficult for us, especially in American Christianity, is that we think it's all about us. And so everything we read, every song we hear on the radio, every single thing in an event that happens... Every particular political speech or poem or even a good day or a bad day. If it rains, it's like, oh, I can't believe I didn't didn't even know that I I had to do it. It's like like it's all about you, that God was going to stop the rain so that you could go play outside or if you wanted to go for a walk. That's how we act. We respond to every single thing in life as if it all centers around us. And that's how we normally read the scriptures. When we read this, we, we are intrigued by that, and, and we may be even challenged by that. We might be like, well, why doesn't Jonathan heal people? <laughs> why doesn't he go around and why doesn't he go over and just tell Jill to get up? Or go up to UVA and, and tell Ben just to get better? We look at every little increment of the scriptures in light of our own particular struggles and circumstances instead of looking at it in the whole. And so we need to caution ourselves as we look at that. But there is still a great hope for us that is for us, just as it was for them, if we just listen to what is being said. One of the clear things that we see in all of the scriptures is that we are sinners and that we are in need of Him. 
One of the things that we see is clear throughout every single page of this book is that God is our refuge and our Redeemer. And He is our hope. And so as you live your lives, you too should look at all of those things. All of those things have been placed under the feet of Jesus Christ. We see that proclaimed in His Word. So when we get up and we see, well, it's a nice day. Well, to the glory be to God that we have a nice day. Whatever purposes you are bringing about, Father, may it be that people would be drawn to the ministry of reconciliation to you. We don't tend to think that way. So as an example of how we should read this chapter should be how we look at all of life. It's difficult for me if I come to church and you know, some people are missing. I'm like, oh, you know, they don't really they don't want to listen to me today. You know, it's all about me. Or if people show up, they go, oh, they, they want to hear me preach today. Instead of thinking, I'm so thankful that people are being obedient to the Lord to come and worship Him. And that they love each other. And that they're willing to bear through my preaching <laughs> to try to be faithful to the Lord. It's amazing how we think, and we need to transition our thinking to what God is actually saying so that we can hear, not just so that we can be humbled, but so that we can be exalted unto what He is telling us here, which is the great hope that we have, that we can be those whom the Lord may dwell in. That is the ultimate goal of all the Scriptures is that God wants to dwell with His people. We talked about that yesterday in the Young Men's Discipleship Group. What is God's main purpose from the very beginning and to the end? And we see it in the calling, the very first command He ever gives us to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And then at the very end, there is a wedding feast that He calls us to. That's what all of this is about. is for us to be reconciled unto Him and so that He can dwell with us, and that Jesus is at the center of that feast, but that He dwells with and in us. That is what this table is about: is to see that it is by His blood and His given body to us that His death and His resurrection allows us to dwell not just with Him, but with one another. That is why we proclaim this together. This is the work of Jesus Christ. Look at the context of what this table is saying. Jesus is at the center. God is dwelling with His people. God's primary goal is a party. And that party is His church. We're going to close there and we'll come back and go through this passage a little bit more intricately. But my prayer for you, just as it is in every day of your life, that none of you would leave here just dwelling and gazing upon this man who was lame and who was brought up. Not just looking at Peter, not just thinking about this sermon, but that you would ultimately gaze upon the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob and Moses and David, the God that was proclaimed by the apostles and was assured to us to be so, so that we might believe, that we might be cleansed and blessed 
by being freed of our wickedness. Let us pray. Our Heavenly 